in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And I know that a whole lot of us are busy. And we are busy with Awana and Mops and Men's Fraternity and Women's Bible Study and Sunday School and Children's Church and teaching and ministering and sharing Christ with our neighbors and these kinds of things. But I, and I know that after you have done all those kinds of things for a while, uh, you can start to grow weary. Uh, most of us are not as young as we once were. And some of us uh, need medical attention just to get out of bed in the morning. But um, the reality of it is we are reaping the harvest here at Chillicothe Bible Church. Um, and the uh, uh, last few weeks, we probably haven't, you haven't been able to see our sign back behind me, but that's our 2018 by 2018 banner that we've got back there. It's just a reminder that by the year 2018, we would like to reach 2018 people with the gospel. And I want to share with you how we're doing on that. Uh, first of all, there were 78 kids at Awana this last week. Um, and we shared the gospel. In fact, uh, Ranger Rick did a great job sharing the gospel with uh, all of the TNTers and Sparkies who were there. Now, some of those are our kids, and so I'm getting, I'm still getting a a tally of all the kids who are not from our church that we share the gospel with. But nevertheless, you need to know that so far this year, 2014, we have shared the gospel with well over 300 men, women, and children through the ministries of Chillicothe Bible Church. And that is something to celebrate. Amen? So let's give yourselves a hand. Let's give praise to the Lord for His grace to us, and let us not grow weary. Amen? Uh, we got, we're 300 down. we got a long way to go. Uh, we got about, uh, about 1,700 left, but, uh, but we're getting there. We're making progress, and that's very significant. Now, this morning, uh, I know some of you read ahead, find out what the preacher's going to be doing, so you can figure out if you want to come or not the next Sunday. <laughs> But uh, anyway, uh, some of you read ahead, and, uh, and you know that today we're talking about the high priest and the priest's garments and so forth, and you're sitting out there and you're going, what is he going to do with that? Uh, and I have to tell you that as I saw this approaching on my preaching calendar, I map out my series over the next several months actually. I know what I'm going to be preaching in January if I'm still alive and the Lord tarries. Um, but in any case, uh, I was looking at this and going, what am I going to do with the, the, a cha- an entire chapter plus about clothes worn by men who held an extinct office? And how am I going to help people to see how this relates to their life? Well, I have good news for you. This does relate to your life. Okay, uh, have you ever heard the expression, clothes make the man? Heard that expression? Or dress for success, right? Uh, that you need to look the part, right? Well, it isn't quite the case that putting on the clothes of the priest is what made you a priest, but it is the case that the priest's clothing and the other instructions that are given uh, about the role of the priest in this whole chapter, this whole section, uh, the tail end of 
chapter 27 and all of chapter 28, give us some clues as to what the priest was supposed to do and what his role was. And that has great significance to your life because we have a high priest too. Uh, he, is, uh, he is in heaven, and he is a better high priest than any of the ones that Israel had. Uh, and he has a, a, a role and a significance in your life that is ongoing. So I want to show you, first of all, the Old Testament priests, and then show you Jesus, the great high priest. Okay? So if you got your Bible, uh, first of all, let's read together uh, Exodus chapter 27 and verse 20 and 21. Follow along here as I read. You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light that a lamp may be regularly set up to burn. In the tent of meeting outside the veil that is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. Now, this is the first reference in all this, this discussion. We've had a lot of descriptions and you make... Make it out of acacia wood and use gold and you know, all these kinds of descriptions that have, have been referring to the tabernacle up to this point. We've not had any references to the priests. So this, these two verses are the first references you get to the priests and what they're to do. And if you'll remember, the tabernacle tent is divided into two sections. You've got the outer section that's about 30 feet by 15 feet by 15 feet high called the holy place. And in that place there are three pieces of furniture we've seen two of them the golden lampstand and the uh, table for the bread of the presence there's also an altar of incense in there we haven't seen that yet but it, that's also in there and this is the description of the light the lamp the golden lampstand that represented both the tree of life and the light of being in the presence of God uh, that's out in the holy in the holy place okay and he says, you're to, you're to bring oil for it. Well, what kind of oil? Well, you're to get lightly beaten olives. So if you take your olives and you just beat them a little bit. <laughs> okay. Uh, and what you get from that first contact with those olives is you get very clear, very nice oil. It's what Rachel Ray, you all watch cooking shows? Okay. Remember Rachel Ray? She's on there, and she'll, she'll say, you need to put a little EVOO on there, right? a little extra virgin olive oil. This is that. And you can light it on fire and burn it. Um, if you're not careful, you might do that while you're cooking. Um, but it, you can burn it, and if you, and if you use it in a lamp, what, what happens is, is, that, is that that oil, that first pressing of the olive, doesn't have any pulp in it. And so it burns very clear with very little smoke, which is nice. And so he says, that's the oil I want for the lamp. And it's to be kept burning all the time, around uh, the clock. And so what the priests did was that one of their roles, one of their responsibilities was to tend the lampstand. And they were to keep it burning all the time, symbolizing that that. God was with them, and His light was among them all the time, and that they had life, because it's the tree of life, remember, uh, that's there in their presence, and that, that is a t an eternal thing that goes on. And this was, to, this was in other words, um, part of the role of the priest was to minister continually 
before God as the, as the people's representative and as God's representative to the people. And that this was a permanent job. And so part of the role of the priest was to permanently be ministering before God. And these guys, uh, as, it, as it was uh, later um, practiced, what they did was they had shifts. And so just like, you know, if you do shift work now, you know, you work uh, 7 to 3 or 11 to... Uh, 11 to 7 or you know 3 to 11 whatever it is you have shift work and your shift as a priest kind of corresponded to that and part of your job was not just to offer sacrifices but to keep the lamp burning and the idea was that you were continually representing the people before God and God before the people Uh, somebody was always on duty now uh, there's more to it Uh, chapter 28 Then bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twisted linen. Sarah, can you uh, put the screen back down and, and put that picture up? Um, now, um, and they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and of fine twisted linen skillfully worked, shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges so that it may be joined together, and the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it of one piece with it of blue, gold, purple, and scarlet yarns and a fine twisted linen. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords, and you shall attach the corded chains to the settings." Now, what you see there in the picture, I hope you can see it well, is the um, this this apron-looking thing uh, that is made of multicolored fabric with a belt around it. That is the ephod, and on top of the ephod is the breastpiece for making decisions that we're going to read about later. That's that square object in the center of the chest that's attached to the ephod. Uh, and it was a piece of fabric, uh, and it had it, uh, it had tw- uh, that had twelve different um, stones on it. We'll get to that in here in just a minute. But the, these priests have special clothes to wear, and this is the clothes of the high priest of Aaron initially, and then his sons after him, and then their descendants after them. And these clothes, they're beautiful. Uh, were meant to indicate the honor and importance of the priestly office. And 
you've got a breast piece, you've got an ephod underneath that, then underneath that you have a robe, and then underneath that a coat of checker work, and then a turban and a sash and some holy underwear, which are mentioned later. Okay, um, And God tells Moses that he especially empowered and called certain men in Israel as artists who are going to make these things. And, and I think that's highly significant because you don't get real technical descriptions as to how some of this is supposed to be made. Uh, you get general details, but you don't get a lot of specific instructions. Well, what are the gold filigree settings supposed to look like? Well, that was evidently left up to the artist's interpretation of God's instructions. But it was to be beautiful, and it was to be done in a particular way. Uh, does God value artistic expression? Yes, he does. It's God who, who gave music and art and, um, and, the, and literature and these kinds of things, right? You see all of that in the scripture, and you see it here, that there's, there's a value attached to art and to and and honor given to these artists who are specially empowered by God to make these things. We're going to learn about a couple of these guys uh, later on. Their names are Bezael and Aholiab. Um, some of you parents are looking for names for your child. Take note, right? Um, but in any case, what you also see with the ephod is you see that the colors that are used are the identical same colors as the tabernacle itself. We read all about all the tabernacle curtains last week and how they're blue, purple, and, and scarlet uh, yarns and, and gold and linen. And, and, and the ephod that the high priest wears is made identically out of the same kind of fabric as one of the curtains in the tabernacle. Okay, now you may remember Scarlett O'Hara making that dress out of the curtains, right? Okay, <laughs> but this is kind of like that, okay? Um, and, you know, we don't have an, an exact idea of what this thing looked like precisely because the description is subject to interpretation. But this gives you a pretty good idea. You have this multicolored apron-like thing with a belt around it that's part of it. And on top of each shoulder is an onyx stone. And on one shoulder, you've got the names of six of Israel's sons. You've got on that one... Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, and Naphtali. Those are the first six sons in birth order. And then on the other, you've got Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. And each of these are set on the, on the ephod itself in settings of gold filigree. Now, I had to look up what that is. Being a guy, I did not know what filigree was. Uh, but I found out that what it is, is it's actually an ancient jewelry-making technique. And what you do is you, take, is you take pieces of gold wire and pieces uh, and little, little balls of, of gold, and then you solder them together in a pattern uh, with, you know, with gold itself. And so you melt it all together, and it makes some... I, I looked at some pieces on the Internet... Some of these are ancient, going back to like the Etruscans and so forth. And they're really amazing how intricate they are. And they look, they, they have kind of a net pattern to them. And they're beautiful. And you're to set these stones in them and then put them on the shoulder pieces of this garment, this ephod. Now, the purpose was this. Uh, it says that they are stones of remembrance 
uh, before the Lord. And so what they symbolized is this, is that the priest represented the whole nation before God. And so he is literally, have you ever, you guys use the expression sometimes, you know, he is carrying that whole team, right? Well, in a sense, what the priest did was he carried the whole nation on his shoulders, literally. Their names were on his shoulders because he symbolized the fact that he carried the entire nation before God on his shoulders and that his ministry was to represent them before God and, and to, in a sense, remind God, not that he is senile or forgets, but to say, God, we have a covenant with you and these are the names of the covenant people, all of the tribes, all 12 of them. And his job was therefore to intercede for the people of Israel and act as their mediator and intercessor between them and God. Now, let's read on. Now you shall make a breastpiece of judgment in skilled work in the style of the ephod. You shall make it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and the fine twisted linen shall you make it. It shall be square and double to span its length and span its breadth. You shall set in it four rows of stones, a row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row, and the second row an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond, and the third row a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a barrel, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree, and there shall be twelve stones with the names according to the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. And you shall make, shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. You shall make for the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold, and you shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold, and put the two rings on the edges of the breastpiece, and you shall put the two cords of gold in the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. In two ends of the two cords, you shall attach to settings, two settings of filigree, and so attach it to the front, the shoulder pieces of the ephod. You shall take, make two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge next to the ephod, and you shall make two rings of gold and attach them in front of the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastpiece by its rings the rings of the ephod with lace of blue so that it may lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod so that the breastpiece shall not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment you shall put the Urim and the Thummim and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. Now, what you see in the picture, basically what the breastpiece is, is a rectangular piece of fabric, and you make a loop in the back of it to make a pocket. And then it's got rings at the top to attach that attach to the shoulder pieces at the top, and rings at the bottom that attach to the belt at the bottom. And you've got this pocket and on the front part of the pocket, you have the stones and, and the names, again, in birth order across four rows of three, various kinds of precious and semi-precious stones that represent the names of the sons of Israel, and they're to be on his heart. So the, holy, the, the high priest carries the sons of Israel on his shoulders and before the Lord, and he carries them on his heart before the Lord so that the ministry was to represent them before God, but also to have them in his heart so that as he went to pray for them at the altar of incense that we'll see in a couple of chapters, that he is carrying them in his heart before God. 
And this is to symbolize that. And then underneath that, you've got this pocket, and you've got these things that are called Urim and Thummim. And a lot of people go, what is that? And it, the names mean lights and perfections. And what they were for was determining God's will. And we don't know how they worked, and we don't know what they were. But I asked one of my uh, Old Testament professors when I was at seminary, I said, what is that? And he goes, well, the best, I, the best guess that I have is that they were kind of a yes and no stone. And his theory was that they glowed according to the answer that God was giving. And they were different, but they glowed according to the answer that God would give. And you see them used to make decisions uh, all through the Old Testament. In fact, David consults the priest who, who consults uh, the Urim and the Thummim uh, to, to know what's going on. And you stick your hands in the pocket, and you come out with them, and whichever one glows, that's the answer. You ask a yes or no question. Okay? Now, that may not be quite exactly the way it worked. We're not totally certain. But we do know that that was a way that God used to declare His will to people about situations that they did not have definitive Scripture. Now, at this time, you know, the book of Exodus, what we have, what we're reading now in Exodus is some of the very first Scripture that is written. So God's people did not have a whole Bible like you and I have that we can go, what does God think about this? What should I do about this? You know, we read our Bible and we, we sometimes forget that people didn't have all of this back in those days. We have way more revelation than, than Moses did. Uh, we have way more than Adam did, way more than Abraham did, etc. And so you, God needed a way to communicate with his people about how to make decisions. And you would go to the priest and you would ask him a yes or no question and he would give you an answer according to the Urim and Thummim. Uh, I think that's a, you know, a, a method I'm glad I don't need to use today. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, you were to carry God's people on your heart uh, as the high priest and you were to help them to discern God's will. Uh, now, uh, the next thing that's described is the robe of the ephod. You shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. It shall have an opening for the head in the middle of it with a woven binding around the opening like an opening in a garment so it may not tear. On its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem with bells of gold between them, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he does not die. And you shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. You shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall weave the coat in checker work of fine linen, and you shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash embroidered with needlework. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. 
You shall make them for glory and beauty, and you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him, and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hip to the thighs, and they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they go into the tent of meeting or when they go near the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him for his, and for his offspring after him. Now, you've got a robe that's underneath the ephod, and that's kind of a, an outer garment, sleeveless thing. And it has, on the bottom of it, it's all, it's all solid blue, except for at the bottom of it, you've got these little fabric pieces that are made to look like pomegranates that are made of the same kind of thread as the ephod. Uh, blue and purple and scarlet, and that you know they're little little fabric balls that go around, and alternating between those is a golden bell. And this is real serious. You're going to go in as the uh, high priest of God. You're going to bear the sin of the people on your shoulders and your own sin with you because you're not sinless as the priest. And when you go in, you've got these golden bells, and as long as people can hear the bells ringing, they know the priest has not been struck dead for doing other than what God had told them. This is a serious deal. God is very serious about sin. And he says, put the bells on there so people will know they've got a living priest who hasn't been struck dead over his own sin or the sin of the people, but that God has accepted him. In later times, they literally tied a rope around the guy's ankle so that if he died, they could pull his body out without being struck dead themselves, going into the presence of a holy God as sinful people. This is, this is serious stuff. Um... In addition to that, they have there's a turban and then attached to it a golden plate that reads holy to the Lord. And in a sense, what it's there for is to remind the Lord that as uh, the priest is coming in to offer these sacrifices from these people and offer sacrifice also for his own sin, that this guy has been designated as holy before God so that he has the right and the privilege to come into, come into God's presence and not be struck dead. And in addition to that, uh, there, is, um, there is a tunic, if you will, a sleeved garment that's made in a check pattern. Um, we've got little, little squares of blue interwoven with the white uh, that uh, you wore as, as kind of the undergarment, if you will, underneath the robe. And then underneath that, you've got, like I say, your holy underwear, your holy undershorts uh, to wear to cover your private areas so that you would be regarded as holy. And the whole point of all of this stuff, and if you were Aaron, you had, uh, if you were Aaron, you had all these things. If you were just a regular priest, you had the tunic, the checked uh, sleeved garment, and you had a belt around it, a sash, and you had a little cap. But the other stuff you didn't have. That was to designate the high priest separate from the regular priests. And 
And the purpose of all this stuff was to make the people holy before God. And the priest's job was to communicate the law of God, to offer the sacrifices of God, and to go before God on behalf of the people that they might be regarded as holy to the Lord. Because you've got a holy God living in the midst of sinful people. And that cannot happen apart from sacrifices being made. And, and it was, a, in some sense, a dangerous thing. Uh, I shared with my small group last week, you know, if you read the manual that goes with how to operate inside of a nuclear reactor, it is fairly thick and fairly boring unless you're about to go inside. In which case, it becomes scintillating reading. I mean, it's page turning. I got to figure out how to do this, right? And because, because it is, as Hebrews says, a fearful thing to come into the presence of the living God. And in fact, when, when if you'll remember, when God spoke from the mountain on Mount Sinai, then the mountain has got fire and smoke, and they hear the voice of God. You remember what the people do? They say, Moses, tell the Lord not to talk to us anymore. <laughs> Have him talk to you, and then you tell us what he said. <laughs> okay? They are scared motherless. And they cannot, cannot even stand. And now God is going to dwell in the midst of them in a tent similar to theirs right in the center of camp. And they need to know that they can be made holy and acceptable before God. And that was the role of the priest to do that. Now, uh, what you see summarizing all this is this, that the role of the priest is to continually serve so that sinners might be at peace with God. And the people may have offered their sacrifices just like God told them, but at the end of the day, they were still sinners, and God was still holy, and He still possessed righteous anger for them, uh, against them for their sin. Amen? And so God appointed priests to mediate and intercede between Him and the nation so that the people would know His will and that they would become His holy people. And that was the point, and that was the plan. But here's the problem. The priest didn't perfectly fulfill their role, did they? A couple chapters later in Exodus uh, 32, you read about a little incident known as the golden calf. We're going to get there in just a few weeks. Uh, where Moses is up on the mountain getting all the instructions for how they're to do all this stuff. And while he's gone, the people all gather around Aaron and they say, Make us gods to go before us, and because uh, we need a leader, and you're it. And you're the you're the big guy's brother. We don't know what has happened to Moses. Make us a god. So he makes a golden calf and says, "Here are your gods, O Israel, that brought you out of Egypt." And they all have a big drunken orgy in front of this calf. And and Moses then comes down uh, from the mountain while this is going on. And Aaron was the one who was called by God to be the first high priest. 
And when Moses comes down and says, hey, uh, Aaron, what about it, boy? Uh, Aaron goes, well, I don't know. I mean, the people gave me their rings, and uh, I put them in the fire, and out came this calf. <laughs> okay. This is the high priest of God. A couple of Aaron's sons literally are struck dead. Uh, you can read about it in Leviticus chapter 10 for offering strange fire before the Lord. By the time of the prophet Samuel, you've got Eli, the high priest. And when you read that whole, uh, that whole section, you know, little Samuel, little boy, is ministering before the Lord as a little kid. And he's living there at the, at the tabernacle with Eli. And God speaks to Samuel. And it's interesting little detail that's there in the story. It says, now the lamp of God had not yet gone out. The lamp was supposed to burn all the time. They're using it for a nightlight and sleeping in the temple or sleeping in the tabernacle and just going, well, you know, I mean, when the thing burns out, we'll know it's time for, time for some, catching some Z's, okay? Samuel uh, was faithful in all God's house, but Eli, the guy who taught him, was not. And he and his sons were not doing their job. In fact, uh, Eli's sons are carrying on relationships illicitly with the women who serve at the tabernacle. Is that making the people of God holy? No. Is Eli, are Eli and his boys ministering continually before the Lord? No. And in fact, it got so bad in the nation of Israel and they became so unholy and the priesthood so corrupted that God sent all of the entire nation into exile and there was no priesthood and no sacrifice and no lamp burning for 70 years while they were in Babylon. So God's plan and purpose was that the priests would serve as mediators continually between Him and the people that they might become His holy people and that the priests might be effective mediators bearing the nation on their shoulders and in their hearts before God. But the nation never had a perfect priest. And even the good priests that they did have, what happened to them? Well, they were sinners and they all eventually died because of their own sin. At the end of the day, even though the priests were part of God's perfect plan, they were still imperfect men. They didn't serve it night and day at all times. They didn't intercede. They didn't bear the nation on their shoulders and remember them in their hearts all the time. They didn't proclaim and reveal God's will to His people and they didn't make the nation holy with their ministry. But as Paul might say, thanks be to God. Because we are not reliant on that old priesthood. In fact, we are recipients as the New Testament says, of a new covenant, just like God promised to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31. Hebrews 10 tells us that every priest stands daily at his service offering the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But when Jesus, I love this, in fact, go to your, open your Bible, just read this with me, this is great stuff. You've got to see this. Hebrews chapter 10. Okay, 
We don't normally flip around in our Bible too much, but, but you need to flip over to Hebrews and see this. Verse 11. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You know, you can read through this whole description of the tabernacle. This whole thing. And you read about all kinds of furniture. You've got lamps. You've got altars. You've got tables. You've got the Ark of the Covenant. You've got all these coverings and tents and poles and stakes and sockets and turbans and robes and all this stuff. You know what you will never see as an item of furniture in the tabernacle of God? Chairs. You got tables and you got no chairs. Why? Because the priest never sat when he ministered before God. And the reason he never sat is because the sacrifices were never finished. They were never done. And that's why the writer of Hebrews makes a big point of this. He says they stand continually. That was their job, to continually stand before God and before the people, to be an intermediary between the two of them. But when this priest, Jesus Christ, offered one sacrifice for all men, for all sin, for all time, for all people, he sat down at God's right hand. Why? Because his work was done. His work was done. It was finished. And... And though the high priest was supposed to carry the nation on his shoulders and bear them in his heart, he often didn't. He forgot them, and more often than not, he turned the job into one of self-aggrandizement and worse, participation in idolatry, just like Aaron. And in fact, at the end of the day, remember who was the one who called for Jesus to be executed? It was the high priest, Caiaphas who said, what more testimony do we need? You've heard him blaspheming. Take him away and let's crucify him. But God says through Isaiah, I love this scripture. You you might want to write this down. This is Isaiah 64 verse 1. I think it's Isaiah 64. He says, see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Not just on a rock, on a robe I put on, clothes I put on when it's my turn, my shift at the temple. I've engraved you on the palm of my hand. And what you see in the marks on Jesus, on his hands, on his feet, on his head, and his side, he did not just bear the names of the sons of Israel on his shoulders. And across his heart, he bore the sin of the entire world on his shoulders and in his heart. Amen? And he carried us. And he obeyed perfectly. And he revealed God's will to us. Not through Urim and Thummim, but through his own life. And in addition to that, by sending the Holy Spirit. You know why we don't do Urim and Thummim anymore? 
because we have the Holy Spirit. And as part of the promises of the new covenant, God said, I will send my spirit upon all flesh and I will write the law on their hearts. How will I do that? Because the spirit will speak to them and reveal God's will to my people. And so we don't need glowing rocks and a priest to say, well, let's see here, uh, ask a yes or no question. I'll stick my hands in the pouch and pull out the rocks. Okay, now that was a great method when you didn't have better revelation. But now we have better revelation. We have, in fact, the holy presence of the Spirit of God dwelling inside us in a way that no one in ancient Israel really experienced in quite the same way. We have better promises. Uh, Look at... uh, Verse 14 again, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Remember, the role of the priest was to help people who were sinners to be made holy. And and it worked okay at the time. It was the best that was available. But Jesus made one sacrifice and he made perfect forever those who were being made holy. In other words, When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, here's what happens. God writes on your forehead, holy to the Lord. You are marked and sealed for the day of redemption by the giving of the Holy Spirit. And you are made perfect from that moment. Does that mean that you don't sin anymore? No, that's why he says those who are being made holy. It's a progressive thing. But at the same time, you are declared righteous and holy before God at the moment you you put your trust in Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf. It is a much, 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 much better covenant that we enjoy. And Jesus is a far, far better priest than any that Israel ever had. And in fact... I love this verse. I'm going to read it to you. Go to one more book, okay? Go to the book of Jude. Find Revelation at the end of your Bible, and then go to the front of it, and then go back one more page to Jude, okay? And I want to read you these verses, because these are some great verses about the perfection that we will receive by being related to our great high priest, Jesus, okay? Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. To the One who will present you before Him Blameless. Blameless. You know, in in the Old Testament, I mean, it's true. There were people who really did die when they came into the presence of God in an unauthorized way. You remember the guy who they're moving the Ark of the Covenant and they decide they skipped the reading of the regulations on how it's to be moved and they decided to stick it on an ox cart and, and, and move it that way. And it starts to tumble off the ox cart. A guy reaches his hand out to steady it because he doesn't want the holy things of God to touch the ground. 
And the guy is immediately struck dead right on the spot. And David, who is trying to do the right thing and bring God's uh, ark into the city that, that um, will later house the temple, is distraught. And he goes, well, what am I supposed to do now? It's a scary thing to have God among his people. But you know what? It's no longer a scary thing for us. And the reason is, is that we have a better priest who has made perfect those who are being made holy and who will one day present us blameless before God. Amen? Blameless. So that, you know, if I'm sitting out there today, sometimes we can get weighed down with all of the guilt of all of the stuff that we have done. And even though we have confessed to the Lord and we know we have been forgiven intellectually, we still feel guilty. And we still feel like, oh, man, so tired of this. So tired of all of the effects of sin in my life. And some of us have stuff we've done that the consequences for that are ongoing. Even though the sin is forgiven, we still live with the after effects. And we go, man, this does not taste very good. But at the end of the day, what we find out is, is that one day, because we have such a superior high priest offering such a superior sacrifice through such a superior ministry, we stand before God perfect and blameless, innocent and holy before God. Amen? We have a lot to praise God for. A lot to praise God for. Now, I bet you never expected from that chapter you would see all that. Come back next week. You'll learn some more. And we'll uh, submit ourselves before God for some more truth. So let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that we do have a great High Priest who always lives to make intercession for His people. A God who does not go through a veil in an earthly tabernacle, but one who has gone through the heavens into a more perfect tabernacle the one which is not made with hands and which is not a copy, but is the real thing, the place where your presence dwells. And he intercedes on our behalf and he is making us holy and he knows your will and declares it to us by his Holy Spirit whom he sent to us. And Father, we are grateful. We worship and adore you, in fact for all of your manifold blessings to us and the way that your love has been poured out uh, for us through Jesus Christ on the cross and in every day since. Father, we love you and we worship you in Jesus' precious name and by your Holy Spirit. Amen.